Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. is some of our thoughts. Hey everybody, welcome to our show. I'm Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is Some of Our Thoughts. Not all of them, it's just some of them. Just some of them. So Carter, before we start telling everyone about the wine we have today, why don't you and I open up a bottle? <laughs> oh my God, can we please? We should. I'll let you do the honors. All right. Here's where the magic happens. Milady. Great, shall we? We shall. <laughs> ching, ching. My name is Carter, and I work at the wine shop in Waco, Texas. That's 18th and Austin. We're literally just called the wine shop, it's not like the Waco wine shop. I've been into wine forever and ever. I just started working there in July, though, when my friend Chelsea left to go to New York City. And it's been like the very best thing. I work at a place called Valley Mills Vineyard. So Carter's in a storefront um, in a downtown area, whereas I am about 30 minutes outside of a major city in a small town called Valley Mills. And I run their tasting room and I also do all their event coordinating and social media. So I'm a busy gal. <laughs> busy, busy. Busy, busy. But wine is always the thing in my heart that keeps me going and makes me always work harder. And yeah, we're very good friends, probably best friends, most would say. I would. <laughs> As would I. Um, we started drinking wine together, though, not that long ago. Yeah, it's like pandemic times. Yeah, pandemic times. Which we're still in pandemic times. Yeah. I used to visit her work before she worked there, actually, and would get about a case a week during the pandemic because Same. when my job was closed down, I actually worked outside in the vineyard with the crew out there that does that, which... In production. Yeah, in production, which that was such a cool experience and highly recommend to anyone that is in my position and doesn't really have... Hands-on experience. Yeah, get your hands dirty, get your feet dirty. I was disgusting every day, <laughs> which is why I drank so much during that time. <laughs> but I learned a lot. It was very humbling. I learned so much. It was such a cool experience. And yeah, we just kind of figured out we were in the same circle as well and um, I think Carter mentioned as well, where she works, they do all natural wines, whereas where I'm at, it's more of like a traditional European minimalist, um, predominantly dry winery. So it's really cool to have the best of both worlds so close to home and to be able to try different things and compare different wines. We are also in a wine study group on our own with 
basically us and some coworkers and other people that love wine and are in the industry. And we do monthly wine studies. And that's really cool. I didn't even know I was going to talk about that. Look at this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> and we'll basically pick a wine varietal each month and we'll talk about that and open all the bottles up, do some comparisons. And I also definitely recommend that, especially if you're new to wine and you don't know what you like. If someone says, oh, try this Malbec, and you try it and you hate it, don't don't write it off. Definitely Don't not. write it off forever. Buy a couple more bottles. And then if you still hate it, that's cool. But maybe you'll find out what you hate about it. Totally. Yeah. And it always helps to have friends to dissect things with and help you discover different flavor profiles you might be overlooking or just even come up with words that you can't think of right away. Definitely. Words are hard sometimes. Words are very hard. We're sommeliers as well. Oh my gosh, yeah. Some of our thoughts. Come on. (laughs) Words. Words are hard, but taking that course helps a lot. The sommelier course, um, the WSET, um, we've both done that as well. They're very synonymous, and the teachings are very similar. Really awesome programs, if you want to look into those, which help inspire the name, obviously, some of our thoughts. But yeah, we had this whole idea of basically the format of our show. And the format of our show, each week will be, we will pick a wine, we'll talk about the wine, you know, tasting notes, um, origin, producer, uh, maybe even comparisons and moments. If we have different vintages, especially. Yeah, definitely. And then we are also doing a wine and vinyl pairing, which was Carter's idea, which is amazing. Who doesn't want a wine and vinyl pairing? Come on. Some some music is just too good. You think, ugh, like I have to share this feeling. Yeah. And like embrace it and make it bigger. And like that's kind of similar to like Listening to music on a sunny day versus a rainy day. Yeah. We will also be doing a food and wine pairing in our show as well. Classic. I'm very excited about. We love food. Yes. Almost as much as we love wine. Basically. Maybe, maybe equal. No, I love wine more. (laughs) I wish 90% of my paychecks go to food and wine. Yeah. And I am not embarrassed to admit that. No, definitely not. <laughs> and Carter had a good point. We mentioned earlier in the car. That's actually what kind of brought us together so much is the food and wine pairings. Within the last year, you know, during the pandemic, we didn't go out anywhere for a very long time. And definitely. we rarely do now, honestly. Once in a blue moon, maybe, depending on what the event is. But We have so much fun at home. Do. Cooking and drinking and watching movies and listening to music. Yeah, it's it's incredible. <laughs> Sarah is being modest too. In the past year, she has had a beautiful little boy named Lucas. I have, and he has contributed quite some to our creativity and having fun at home. Especially for this first uh, pairing we have today, actually, which. Let's talk about the wine today, yeah? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Cheers. We've been drinking it. It's, um, gosh, this is one of my very, very favorite bottles. I think I'll just go ahead and say it. Yeah. We wanted to pick something that we were excited about that we felt inspired to talk about. Absolutely. 
All right, Sarah. First thing that comes to mind. Ooh. The name of this wine is Resib... No, you say it. It is Resibol. Is it Chicali Resibol or... Chocolate. See? That's almost like you say it. (laughs) So this is uh, the fun kind of unpretentious part of our show (laughs) is how we are very much English-speaking human beings. And um, a lot of wine is, uh, you know, French. (laughs) A lot of it's Italian. A lot of it's Spanish. Some of it's Spanish and Portuguese, Argentinian. Australian. There's all kinds. <laughs> Pick a region. They probably make wine. They definitely do. In all 50 states, as a matter of fact, and in Canada. Shout out, dear. So um, we have this beautiful wine from the Chocolate region of Spain. That's the, is it the Basque region. It's the Basque region. It's the Basque region, but it's Chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate Reservoir. And it is a beautiful High acid white wine. Oh man, there's this a lot wine. going on. <laughs> well, and I think one of the the best first like wine terms we can tell you guys about is complexity. Yeah, this wine is complex. It's got a lot going on for a lot of different reasons. For sure, the varietal itself is. I'm gonna butcher this, and it's gonna be fine. Hondarabi Zuri. That's exactly how I would say it. Yeah, yeah. So, as we said, it is from the Basque region of Spain, which is in northern Spain. It is a coastal region. And this particular vineyard um, was founded in 1996. The vineyard itself slopes towards the sea, and there is an absence of frost where these grapes are grown, which... If you know a little or a lot about wine, that actually says a lot. Mm-hmm. It's very unusual. Most people have to contend with frost in some form or fashion. Right. Even in Texas, we deal with it a little bit, depending on what year it is, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That imparts itself a lot on the wine, the terroir, and the vintage, depending on climate and weather. Definitely. So if you're looking at this bottle, it's a what some people call... What some people call a baseball bat style of bottle. If you turn it upside down, it looks like a baseball bat. It's very slender. (laughs) (laughs) Tall, slender. Um, If you look at it, it looks, I mean, you can't read it unless you speak that language. It just looks like, yeah, yeah, Bass is like, I don't know what this means. Please, someone help me. And then you would look it up and then you would translate their website if you're English speaking like we are. And it tells you a little bit about it. Um, so it is a low alcohol wine, like I said, high acidity, and the alcohol percentage is 11%? 11%. 11%. Yeah. Green apple, citrus on the palate. Palate means what you're actually tasting, if you're not familiar with that term. Um, I get a lot of pineapple on the nose. On the nose means what I'm smelling. When I'm swirling it, as you see people do in the movies, they swirl it a little bit. They give it a sniff, they swirl it a little bit, they might put it closer to their nose to see what else they smell. Um, wine's fun, you know? Be as pretentious as you want about it. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot you can tell from just looking at it, too. It's a very light straw color. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell just by looking at that it has a little bit of gas imparted in it, but that's a really special thing about this wine is that it's kind of sneaky. It sneaks very up sneaky. on you. 
super fine bubbles that you really don't expect because it's with an actual cork, like how it's sealed in a lot. Well, 99% of wine, if well, maybe a lesser percentage than that. <laughs> if it has bubbles, it's going to have a crown cap, which looks like the cap of a Coca-Cola bottle or a cage. Yeah, or a cage like champagne style. So I remember first opening this bottle of wine and pouring it, and there are little little fun bubbles, and I thought, okay. She's got some effervescence. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. And then I tasted it, and I was blown away. And so I will all also admit this. I am extremely picky with white wines. Same. Extremely picky with white wines. I, for the longest time, was a red wine gal only. I love my reds. Um and I'll always try a white wine. I'm always curious, right? But this one was one of those where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to continue to buy this as long as it's available to me. Yeah. They have a rosé as well that we had this morning. <laughs> <laughs> with breakfast. With breakfast. With breakfast. Um, we won't be able to do this with every single adaptation, but there's a lot of wines that have a counterpart. And I would think that these two are kind of two sides of the same coin in the sense that they're the same grape varietal and makeup, but they're very different flavors presenting in the same way. Definitely. We have in the rosé much more bell pepper to the point where like as it warmed up, as the wine warmed up, it opened up and was basically bell pepper juice. It was kind of crazy (laughs) not that it's bad by any means it's very nice as well but that would that's one of the wines for me it needs to be super cold very cold and that says a lot yeah this one can be a little bit closer to room temperature and still maintain its original essence which i think says a lot about the structure of the winemaking itself but also the vineyard itself and like kind of what's going on down to the basics of it like why does this white wine taste absolutely super clean and crisp and fruitful and elevated and zippy as I like to call wines like this whereas the rosé which is also a beautiful wine when you first open it and pour it when it's super cold it's you're like oh man this is like watermelon and cantaloupe and strawberry and you know whatever very fruit forward but then yeah as Carter said is it the temperature drops in it that bell pepper attacks you kind of out of nowhere. And it's like, okay, this changed, which is, I mean, it can happen. Wine is crazy. Wine (laughs) is crazy. And as we said, the term opened up as well. um, You'll hear that a lot. Definitely in our show, if not other wine shows, of course, a lot of wines, mostly red wines, I would say, can taste completely different after they open up. Like if you pour them right out of the bottle and taste them, okay, yeah, you'll get a good idea of what it tastes like. But if you put it in your glass and give it some swirls, give it some swirls, that's opening it up. Um, Or if you just leave the bottle open or you can decant it. I am not a fan of decanting wine. Takes a special bottle to decant, I think. Yeah. I'm just not that person. If you want to, that's cool. And there's some absolutely beautiful decanters in the world. And you could do it, yeah, with a really special bottle of wine, but it takes a little, a little bit more time and patience, absolutely, <laughs> and planning and dishes and dishes. <laughs> and as Carter did mention, I am a new mom. I don't really like any of those things. They don't exist for me. 
It's a tall order. It's a tall order. But yeah, back to the wine today, though. Um, the bell pepper thing we're talking about. So there's a term called methoxypyrazine or pyrazines for short. And pyrazines are found in the grape skins and they are responsible for many of the green flavors in wine, very vegetal. So that's where that bell pepper taste and it's on the nose as well. Like you can definitely smell it in that rosé. Um, that's where that's coming from. It can go off, give off the bell pepper aroma, asparagus, um, Lemon citrus. Lemon and citrus. Yeah. Or mild and subtle cases. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not a bad quality per se. Um, it is considered, if you look up the world of wine flaws, which is actually one of my favorite things to talk about, and we will have an entire episode on that at some point. Um, there's a lot of things in the wine world that you can either smell or taste, and it's considered a flaw. Whereas in the natural wine world, they're a lot more forgiving, and they would just say, like what I'm talking about right now, the pyrazine. Like I'm saying, oh, that's pyrazine. That's it's bell pepper. Ugh. Whereas someone else might be like, oh no, it's just very vegetal. It's very vegetal. It's very you know, whatever you want to call it. What would you What would you say if you were describing it in a positive way? Authentic. Authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in natural wine, it's low intervention. It yeah. just means the least amount of human interference in the winemaking process. Mm-hmm. And we like to say in natural wine that you're just letting the fruit do its thing. Do its thing. There you go. So, yeah, depends on who you talk to. Some people call, call it a flaw. You can say to you, like, well, it's a slight flaw. Like, if you don't personally like it, yeah, it might be a flaw to you. But some people might love it. And they just think it is how it is, and I like this, and to me, this is how wine should taste. You know, there's always, it's opinion. It's just a like, preference. Yeah, it's a, it's a preference. Like tasting notes. Like I was talking about those wine studies, and Carter and I do our own wine studies maybe once a week with dinner to prep for our podcast, you know, and just to hang out. It's a good excuse. <laughs> so at the wine shop, we listen to vinyl, which is one of my favorite parts of my job. Is like throughout the day, I just get to pick from our curated selection up there that's uh, my boss David Mayfield and his personal record collection he's let me bring my dad's record collection up there and I found this instrumental beautiful Ray Charles compilation that is compilation I love Ray Charles because I lived in Georgia for several years it was one of my favorite parts of my life and I have a, a big connection to him and the state itself um listening to that it's a beautiful jazz album. Um, and there was just something one day I was up there by myself. It was kind of a slower day and I opened a bottle of this rose ball. And I remember thinking how perfectly suited it was in like a weird synesthesia kind of way. <laughs> it just, it clicked. The sun was shining through the window and like hit the glass in the most beautiful way. And I just felt very grateful, and it just was just the most lovely pairing. And I thought, there has to be room for this in wine, to pair music and food and wine together, because they are such a a marriage there of an experience. So um, this album itself is, is just Really, I'm I'm not a technical musician. I love music. I've always loved music. And um, 
I just in terms of jazz, it's just a really great jazz album. So when Carter first, well, when she brought me the idea of the vinyl and wine pairings, I was over the moon, obviously. It's such a, such a cool idea. Um, and then when we started talking about this wine pairing, which is the first one we're doing, mm-hmm. and on our Instagram, actually, some of our thoughts, we'll be posting the wine and vinyl pairing along with the food pairing as often as we do the podcasts. And when I listened to it, because, you know, she talked me through her experience, which she just talked about for you guys. And I was like, well, I want to experience that on my own. Like, what am I going to get out of it? Let's see. So I listened to it, and I maybe overanalyzed it, (laughs) (laughs) as I often do with pretty much everything. Sarah is brilliant. (laughs) So in the very first track, I feel like this album, too, there's, what, six, eight tracks on it? Yeah, it's very, very short. It's very short. And it doesn't have any of the Ray Charles songs that I think he's super well known for, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a cool album. Such a cool album. Um, vinyl. Such a cool vinyl. <laughs> the first track is kind of somber, I thought. Like, kind of sounds like a rainy day. And then the rest of it. It kind of flips to me. It kind of gets punchier. It gets punchier and it really sets the tone starting out and it just kind of takes you on this like uphill journey. Mm-hmm. So I tell people when you listen to this vinyl and you're drinking this wine, open up your bottle when the saxophone solo starts in the first track. I don't know. It's It was just such a cool thing. <laughs> it's very much a moment. Very much a moment. Take a few sips and swirls. Smell it, do a few tastes, um, really get acquainted with it, with that bright acidity, with the super fine bubbles. And don't even just listen to our tasting notes. See what you taste, you know. Don't go into it thinking, this is going to taste like green apple and whatever, you know. Make your own judgments. But, yeah, open it up during that saxophone solo, and I promise you it's such a cool experience. So the other cool thing with this specific bottle is it it really transports you somewhere. I like to think without the music or the food, it would it would invoke some sentimental something or other. Yeah, for sure. Um, we have a big connection right now to the movie Luca. We do. Which, if you're not familiar, and if you don't have a kid, I don't expect you to be familiar at all because I probably wouldn't be. It's this new Disney movie, and it's about these two little sea monster boys that live on the Italian Riviera. Portoroso. Portoroso. Yeah. They live on this in the Italian Riviera. Super cute movie. Well, there's a character in the show, that, or the, in the movie, that makes this dish called Trenete al Pesto. And when the character said this, I'm going, what? what? That's new. I've never heard of that. Like, I've eaten all my life. I've never heard of that, right? So he cooks it in the movie, and when he plates it, it kind of zooms in on it, and it's the most beautiful pesto pasta dish ever. My mouth is salivating just thinking about it. Right? So immediately I go to my phone and look up, what, what, is, what is this dish? What is this dish I've never had? And it's a pasta dish. It doesn't have any meat in it. It's pesto is the sauce base, but it has potatoes and green beans, which is something personally I would never put together because I think that sounds super weird. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it just works. I don't know. It just God, works. It works on so many levels. Yeah. So this is the food pairing we did with this wine today. 
and I have the whole recipe. I can walk you through it. I will say to if you make the homemade pesto yourself versus store-bought, it makes all the difference. It really does. I mean, there's great store-bought pestos out there. There really are, but the process of making it yourself, you actually get a mortar and pestle and grind things by hand. And something about something I'm really fond of and big with your your personal connection with like what you're consuming, like your connection with the food you're making with your hands. Like you're not just grabbing a jar and dumping it. You're you're literally you're taking 45 basil leaves, you're destemming them. You're grabbing a fourth cup of pine nuts, a third cup of olive oil, parmesan, pecorino cheeses, two cloves of garlic, two golden potatoes, about six ounces of green beans. Like you're grabbing all of these things and um, I'll, just, I'll just tell you how to do it. <laughs> step by step. You step by step. <laughs> all of the flavors and aromas in your kitchen that bring out the flavors of the wine and it just goes so well together. Definitely. And pesto is kind of a heavier sauce. I think some people always think, oh, pesto, it's green. That means it's like light, right? No, pesto is very heavy, which I'm sure everyone listening has had pesto and that's great. That's great. But, um, and wine like this, it really cuts through the heaviness of the noodles, the potatoes, the green beans, the cheeses. It cuts through that and just, it's a beautiful marriage of flavors. It really is. And the very first step is you take your two cloves of garlic, your fourth cup of pine nuts, you dump that into a mortar and pestle. And I will say, get a large mortar and pestle. The bigger, the better. The bigger, the better. Oh my God. Because we have tried this recipe at home with a mortar and pestle that is not so large. It's and teeny tiny. It's teeny tiny. And what we ended up having to do was to, the first time we made it was we would grind as much as we could kind of in separate stages. And then we ended up throwing everything into a food processor, which is fine. If you want to use your food processor, it, it's cool. But you're really going to appreciate the dish more and just like like slowly grinding everything and having smelling those deep flavors and the aromatics of the basil as it breaks down. If you've never smelled the aromatics of basil when it breaks down fiber by fiber, oh my goodness. That in itself is a sensory experience. <laughs> it smells amazing. Didn't y'all discover that you had to destem it as well for the, yes. the consistency of the pesto? Yes, definitely destem it. No matter if you use your food processor or you do it by hand, do it by hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you don't destem that basil, you're going to get a stringy consistency in your pesto. And that's weird, and no one wants that. No you want one a, wants that. No, you want a beautiful, creamy, congealed sauce to go over your pasta. So, we've got your ingredients. You start by grinding the garlic and pine nuts, and you want to make it into a paste. You don't want any lumps at all if you can help it. And then you'll start adding that basil little by little until it's all broken down. Um, that, that's literally it for... Pretty much for the uh, the sauce. And then you're going to add your olive oil, all that fun stuff. And then the cool part is the pasta with the potatoes and the green beans. Grind everything by hand. That's the fun part. The other part that is necessary to make the dish. Um, you just get this big pot of salted boiled water. You boil your potatoes for five minutes and chop them up into tiny bite-sized pieces because no one wants a 
giant potato bite with their pasta because then it is weird, right? (laughs) Your green beans, you want to chop those pretty tiny as well. So you boil your potatoes for five minutes, your green beans for three minutes, and then you throw in your noodles. Be your own judge with the noodles. I say five to ten minutes, depending on what kind of noodles you're using. Um, We love al dente. We do love al dente. Trenete in itself is a type of pasta. Um, Where I live, I cannot find it anywhere. (laughs) I've looked on the internet, and it's not even that easy to find there. Um, It's basically a type of noodle that is in between linguine and fettuccine. So it's not super fat. It's not super tiny like spaghetti. Um, I usually just l- use linguine noodles because that's the closest consistency I imagine it being, and it's amazing. It's so good. So, yeah, you boil all your fun stuff, you drain it, and then you do want to reserve one cup of that pasta water. And what that's going to do is when you mix in all your pesto ingredients from that mortar and pestle into your boiled ingredients, you just need something to help smooth it out. And with that smooth consistency, you can stir it better. It's going to plate better. Um, Starchy, starchy. Starchy, starchy. And yeah, that's it. And and I I usually put a little pretty basil leaf on top of the the bowl or plate. Bowl. Definitely put it in a bowl. It's pasta. (laughs) And then a little bit of finishing salt. Carter always makes fun of me. In my house, so much. In my house, we love finishing salt. Just a little sprinkle, maldon, some nice flaky salt. It makes all the difference. Extra little zippiness and punches of flavor in that. And yeah, you're gonna pair it with that resa ball and hopefully have an amazing dinner. Cause anytime we've done this, it's been one of my favorite dinners. We made it at my house, my husband and I, a couple weeks ago actually, and we both ate it and looked at each other and went. I always love this. (laughs) And it just keeps getting better and better. It just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. And like I said, when you're doing the the hard part, quote unquote, by hand, grinding all of that stuff, it just, it just tastes so much better. Like when you, when you make anything by hand, it's just great. It's awesome. It tastes so nice. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed our show today. Again, we're still enjoying our bottle of. Resiball. Chocolate. Yeah. Resible. Chocolate. She didn't believe me when I tried to spell it the very first time. It's T-X-A-K-O-L-I. And she did not believe me. I didn't. I still don't know <laughs> if I do. No, I do. I'm kidding. Yeah. Grab yourself a bottle. It's absolutely amazing. Grab it. Go home. Listen to the best of Ray Charles. Do not take a sip until the saxophone solo. Just kidding. listen to it and drink along however you'd like but i highly recommend making that trinitale pesto and enjoying all three together for the most magical evening or day whenever you want to do it i hope you had fun listening to us we have so much in store for you all so many more wines to talk about so much more food to talk about So much vinyl to talk about. Oh my goodness. We cannot wait to share everything with you all. And hopefully to help educate you guys in some small way and just share our experiences with this amazing group of wines that we've come up with. Absolutely. We love wine. Wine is fun. Let's keep it that way. (laughs) So guys, grab your favorite bottle, put on your favorite vinyl, make a badass meal. Let's have some fun. Thank you for listening to some of our thoughts.
This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Thank you.